Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. We're going to pick up in the 13th verse. And would you join me as God's word reads this way. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, you are the only stranger. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and to crucify him. But we were hoping that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And and indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early Uh, astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scripture to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathering together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon and they told about the things that that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread road trips. Well, I don't know any of us who doesn't or don't enjoy road trips and road trips are usually something that we plan. It's a destination that we're looking forward to going or a family reunion or a gathering. And so we have it marked on the calendar and we invite our friends, our family, our companions that are going to go on the road trip with us and we start traveling. And one of the great aspects about a road trip is the conversations that happen while we travel. You know, whether it's plane, train or automobile or throw a mama from the train, any of the above, right? Any of the the ways in which we are transported from one place to another give us opportunity to get away from the normalcy of our routine, from the responsibility, and to converse with those that we care about or we're traveling with. And it can be about any number of subject issues, things that are on our heart, things that we enjoy, things we have in common. 
In this particular setting, though, this road trip, this seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is a little over an hour, this hour road trip was filled with, with conversations about the events that just took place in Jerusalem. So Cleopas and another unknown disciple were conversing about Passover week and with mixed emotions, all that they had experienced in that seven days, all that they had seen and that had happened had left them in a sense of shock and awe. They were numb. They didn't understand what just transpired. Scripture says they were sad or heavy in heart. They were confused. That would be one way to say it. We were going to celebrate Passover. What we ended up seeing was a crucifixion. They didn't understand the parallel between Jesus being the spotless Lamb of God upon the cross, the one who would take away the sins of the world, and their greatest need which was forgiveness that would only come through the sacrifice of Christ. They had no recollection or understanding of the resurrection and what it would provide. For them, they had experienced loss, and they were filled with grief and sorrow. So as they walked along this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles, suddenly they have a third companion with them. And in this moment, they are completely unaware of who is walking with them. That's one of the problems with loss and grief is we lose our perspective. We become blind to what's going on around us. And that's really, scientists have proven that out. Medical science say that when there's a sense of loss, there is an immediately response of the body to go into shock, to protect itself, to preserve itself so that we we don't become so heavy laden that we make a foolish decision in light of the loss that we just experienced. And so Jesus is now entered into the scene, and he's walking with Cleopas and this other disciple. So as they went to Jerusalem, they had expectations. They had expectations of seeing their friends, family, fellow countrymen, celebrating the Passover, a time of God's deliverance from Egyptian bondage for their people, a time of prosperity, a time of blessing. And what they saw, though, was just a bloody crucifixion, a mock trial, an innocent man dying, and they had a lot of questions. There's no doubt in my mind that they were physically and emotionally drained. And they also had a lot of doubts and a lot of concerns about whom they had followed and why they had followed him. And were they led astray in following Jesus? It was one thing when we have an expected loss in our life. It's another thing when something happens unexpectedly. I mean, we didn't see it coming. We had no idea that we are about to experience a loss. It's one thing to prepare for a loss. It's another thing when a loss just comes and hits you across the face like a cold washcloth. Where one minute you believe that your life is going down this path and has this purpose and it's going to have this plan, and the next minute you're going 
a completely different direction and, and on a road that you never thought you would travel. And yet, I think somehow, in those moments, with all of our doubts, with us being drained physically and emotionally, is the time that God is the nearest and dearest to us, but we may not even know it. Because of that sense of shock and awe and disbelief. Unexpected losses don't fit the script of our life. It's not supposed to happen to us. It shouldn't happen this way. And it creates a lot of emotion within us. It can cause us to have a sense of instability from what we were anticipating. Our beliefs, our identity, our sense of acceptance and belonging can become compromised at those moments. In times of loss and sorrow and grief, we grope and we need comfort and hope. We're looking for answers. We're longing for answers. We're searching for answers. And all of us have had a loss in one degree or another in life. And if you don't think that you have, let me remind you of some of the things that we all have in common and that we all share together. Grief and sorrow over the loss of a family member. How about a friendship that's been separated and is no longer together? People have lost jobs. People have lost their health. There's been financial loss in people's lives. Some people have lost their marriage. They never imagined them losing their marriage, and yet they, they stand at a road in life they never thought they would walk on, and there they are, heavy, burdened, sad, and they didn't see it coming. Sometimes loss hits us that hard that we just didn't even, weren't even aware of our circumstances or our surroundings. Some people in the loss of a pet. I know in our family, we've lost some animals. It's heartbreaking. It took me three years, three years after we lost Sparky, a.k.a. Remington McConaughey. That was his registered name. This was an awesome dog, an awesome beagle. We lost him. There was a someone missing in our home. And you say, oh, well, it's just a pet. No, he was my pet. He was our pet. I watched my son as a sophomore, six foot five of Luke, crawl into a dog pen, hold his dog and look at his dad and say, Dad, tell me he's not going to die. Tell me he's not going to die. And I said, son, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. And he said, why? Why? He's hurting. He's grieving. And I said, son, the thing to remember is we gave him the best home we could and we gave him what every animal deserves and that's love. That's what we could provide. There was no blame. There was no, you know, you know, pointing a finger. That's just so unhealthy, whether it's loss of a job or a loved one or a reputation. You ever, you ever thought you were the fawns and you found out you were the fool? <laughs> You wanted to be the prom queen and you, you found out that, you know, Cinderella shoe didn't fit your foot and, and it just upset you and you just felt like an outsider. You just felt like no one could understand or empathize or identify with what you're going through. 
I think all of the, uh, these examples are, are common to each and every one of us. Like I said, some of these we see coming and some we don't. But nonetheless, the shock and the pain and the grief and the sorrow are something that we all can identify with. You know, grief is understandable. It serves a purpose in our lives. But it's only for a season. Grief tells us that something happened that hurt. That we have a sense of feeling, of loss. My heart goes out to people when they don't feel anything. Because we should feel something. Because everybody matters. And everything should have some significance in our life. Some greater significance than others. But when there's a loss, if people say it's no big deal, I think, oh my goodness, that is not a healthy way to respond to loss. Grief is acceptable and understandable, but you can't live there and I can't live there. Grief is something that's described over and over again in Scripture, but it was only described in a way of a season. It was never meant to be a place that we're stuck. It's just a season. And that is not an easy season. But if you understand there's a purpose for every season under heaven, then you will be able to begin to take steps forward. We must be careful that grief or loss or sorrow does not lead us to be self-centered. Self-justification, poor attitudes or behavior. Because when we're hurting, we have this self-preservation mechanism that kicks in. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't, don't even go there conversationally with certain matters. Don't you go there. And yet it's, it's probably the greatest therapy that we need at the time. The greatest therapy that we need. So how is it that we get out of this, this cycle of grief and sorrow and these conversations that don't lead to answers but just lead to more questions because that's where Cleopas and the disciple were. They were just talking and talking and talking. And and I don't know if you have this gift. I have this gift. I can talk something into something that's not even something. Do you have that gift? I can talk about it in so many different ways that I actually create scenarios that aren't even scenarios. Do you have the potential to do that? Think and rethink and regurgitate and regurgitate and think and process and think and process. And at the end of that conversation, you're no better for it. You're, you're more confused. You're more sorrowful. You're more frustrated. You're more pissed off. You're more whatever than you were before because you still don't have answers. Can you identify with me? I can't figure this out and I can't control this and I'm not in charge and this really bothers me. You ever had that emotion? Said that? Well, I, I, mean, I didn't say it out loud, but my inside voice was awful loud. Well, then you're part of the company. Welcome. Welcome to the human race. And God does not condemn us in this or judge us or turn away from us. This is a moment that he's shows up in the scene of our life, and we don't even know it's him. And just like Cleopas and the disciples said, where have you been? Where have you been? And and what plane brought you into town? And what planet did you just come from that you don't, you don't even know what's going on? 
And he says, well, well, tell me about what happened. Tell me, tell me what's going on. And that, that is such a, a wonderful thing that our Savior gives us opportunity to do some debriefing. Tell me what you know about what just happened. And they did a really good job of summarizing what took place, but they still didn't have an answer to why it had to happen. They still didn't understand what just happened. They just told him this happened and this happened and this happened. And then, you know, we went there ourselves. And yes, the, the ladies told the disciples he's not there. They saw an angel. We went there. It's true. But no one knows where he's at or what's going on. And so we still have a lot of things that we don't know. And how many of you are not okay with not knowing things? We have a need to know. We have a need to know. It's, it's one of the things that drives our inquisitive nature, whether it's, you know, with a news feed that we're watching, you know, or uh, a storyline that we're watching, zing, zing, zing on our phone. I need to know, need to know. Oh, I really need to know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Woo. That's too much information. And I just, you know, just going, oh, that's too personal. Wow. Wow. That's really, that's, that's overwhelming. No matter what it is, there's this inquisitive nature to find someone whose story, who sort of parallels our story, and then we have someone that can justify why it's okay for us to be stuck and to feel the way that we do and to stay angry and to be self-centered and not to listen to anybody. So I'm sensing the silence means that most of you are like, get off my toes and let's get on to Jesus showing up at the scene. Let's do that. In the midst of all this stuff and pain, the Lord steps in. Cleopas and an unnamed disciple, unknown. Who is this unnamed and unknown disciple? Why don't you and I put our name there? And why can we do that? Because God's word gives us permission to do that. You want to know where else it gives us permission to put our name? where there's not a name, and yet there's a life that was touched by God? Let me give you a few examples. How about the woman with the issue of blood? We don't know her name. Have any women in here ever suffered along those lines? Pain, cramping, inflammation, mood changes, spend a lot of money, never get better. What about the rich young ruler? Wealthy, influential, but lost, lonely, hurting. How about the widow of name experienced a loss? How about the Roman centurion? There's some pain. Two blind men by the road. These are people that we don't have a specific personal name for, but the reason we don't is because that's us. What about the man by the pool of Bethesda? No one cares about me. No one's there to help me. No one puts me in the pool. I just lay here until, you know, uh, I die. And here's the other side of this coin. When we're in grief and when we're in loss and when we're in pain, we have these kind of questions because the Lord clearly manifests himself to Cleopas and ourselves, this other disciple. But we wonder, why, why? 
did the Lord come now? Why did he manifest now? Why couldn't he have come sooner? Why didn't he prevent all this? Why didn't he intervene and stop all of this? And here's some things that we know from Scripture. He comes when it's most needed. When we are blind to him, he comes and he walks and he talks with us. He comes to remove the blinders by bringing God's word to our remembrance. Once they were done sharing what was so heavy on their heart and what caused them to be so sad and what created the loss and the vacuum in their life, he began to say, hey, don't be so foolish. Don't be so preemptuous. Don't make so many assumptions. Don't come to wrong conclusions. Don't come to wrong interpretations of the situation. But believe. Believe what the prophet said. Believe what was written. And then he took time to expound and to go through all that was written about the Messiah and why it was necessary that what they encountered at Passover took place the way that it did. He brought perspective. He brought truth. He brought light to their darkness. He brought hope where they were hopeless. So he didn't leave them in that place to figure it out on their own. He's walking. He's talking with them. They're completely oblivious. They think he's a stranger from a foreign nation. They're thinking, dude, you are just lost, 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 lost. And let us enlighten you. And at the same time, he's saying, no, you're lost, lost, lost. Let me enlighten you. Isn't it amazing that when we're in a sense of loss or grief or sorrow, we think everybody else is lost also. And the Lord takes his time. He's got an hour. The Lord can do a lot in an hour. And in this hour, he begins to just converse with them. And as he converses with them, more light is coming. He's bringing more things to their remembrance. They get to Emmaus, and they're getting ready to turn off the road and probably go to their homes. And he was going to continue to walk, and yet they extended an invitation for him to come and to have a meal with them. So he sat down upon their request and continued to reveal himself to them. Why? When he took the bread and he blessed and he broke it, something snapped. They began now to have fellowship and communion with the Lord. So he wasn't a stranger now. They invited him into their home. Hospitality. They opened their heart to him and they began to see. And the things that he began to tell them and bring to their remembrance began to turn and burn and rekindle a flame in their heart. And as that took place, as he stayed upon their request and broke bread with them, he helped them remember there was a purpose for the sacrifice and the suffering. It was to bring us new life and hope because of the glorious resurrection and the promise of a reunion for all those who put their faith in Christ. 
So when the fire had been rekindled, he graciously moves on, and so do we. He doesn't leave us. It's just not his manifested presence anymore. We go forward with a sense of assurance. We're comforted and we're hopeful. Our minds, our way of thinking, the way we interpret, the way we understand what we've experienced in in life has been enlightened by his word, by his truth. It was for this purpose that the Son of Man came, a man acquainted with griefs and sorrows to help us in our moments of griefs and sorrows. He doesn't abandon us or forsake us. He walks with us in unrelatable ways, converses with us, bringing truth and light and bringing perspective and the other side of the coin to us in life. Instead of us saying, why didn't you intervene? Where were you? How come you didn't prevent this? Which are all other questions that are asked by other individuals in Scripture. Mary and Martha, why weren't you here? You could have prevented Lazarus' death. So once again, that's not something that is uncommon to mankind to get frustrated or angry or to blame God in moments of loss and sorrow or grief because we're not thinking and processing, interpreting uh, or understanding things well at all. People that have lost in any area, lost their job, lost a marriage, lost their health, lost some finances. That loss, you know, reveals, reveals that pain and that sorrow, that weakness of humanity. And then in that weakness, God in his strength shows up. God in his greatness manifests himself. And when he's done, this is, this is when you know you've come full circle. You have the memory, but you don't have the pain. You don't have the unhealthy emotions that go with it. You remember, but it's like, I understand. I understand why these things had to happen the way that they did. And you come to a place of acceptance. Now, we, we are not called to accept things that the devil's trying to do in our life. But when it comes to why the Lord has permitted or allowed certain things to take place. Sometimes the picture is bigger than just our individual needs or comforts or expectations. He's all the while working both to will and to do of his good pleasure in our life. And when the conversation is done and when the flame is rekindled, we look back and all of us, I think, have this deja vu moment and we're like... These people, Cleopas and ourselves in this story, is we're like, I look back and hindsight is twenty twenty. Okay, I get it now. I didn't see it then, and I see it now. There is no promise that you and I have that we will not experience loss or pain or sorrow or grief in this life. But what we do have is hope and consolation and a resurrected Savior in the middle of it. We have promises that are prophetic. We have promises that are sure and yes and amen in Christ. We have a sure word of prophecy. We have truths that we can hold on to that rekindle the flame in our life. And that's What a seven-mile walk with Jesus will do. 
one hour with the Savior and all of the questions that we have sort of go into the background. The brain fog leaves. You ever had brain fog? The brain fog leaves and we see more clearly, we understand more perfectly, and we walk more graciously with God. And we're so excited that we run forward with our life. Scripture says at the end, they didn't stay in Emmaus, but they ran back to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how fast they ran, so I'll run a typical 20-minute mile. Snail pace is about, this is pretty good, snail pace. But let's just say they ran a 10-minute mile, a a six-minute mile, five-minute mile, whatever, right? So a little over an hour it takes to walk downhill seven miles. Uphill is a little bit more of a journey because you got to go from Emmaus up to Jerusalem. But they hightailed it back there, and they found the eleven. And they all celebrated. Instead of isolating themselves, ostracizing themselves, protecting themselves, they found a company of believers and they celebrated the resurrection. They said last week was the greatest week and we were there eyewitnesses to it. And we understand why everything had to happen the way that it did. And it's not just a little picture that they have. They have the big picture. They don't have the micro picture. They have the macro picture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.